Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Friday, May 6th, 2022. Do this in remembrance of me. Those words were carved into the fancy wooden table that would sit at the very front of the auditorium of the church that I grew up in. And each Sunday, although more, most often at the Sunday evening service, we would do what that said, do this in remembrance of me. We would celebrate the Lord's table and take the bread and drink of the cup to remember Jesus Christ. And if you go to church today, this is something you will experience. Uh, churches do it maybe at different uh, levels of frequency. Uh, the church I grew up in did it every week. But like I said, most often at the evening service, which was less attended. Uh, one of the churches I went to did it more kind of sporadically. Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley. We like to do it on the first uh, Sunday of every month, just kind of as a part of our rhythm as a church. Uh, it doesn't seem like scripture is super clear on the frequency of that. But where does that come from? Why do we take the bread and take the cup and eat and drink there in our church services. Why why do we do that? Well, let's look at that today as we look at our New Testament reading. We'll be looking at Matthew 26, 26 to 29, Mark 14, 22 to 25, Luke 22, 17 through 20, and 31 through 38, and John 13, 31 through 38. So all four Gospels in the mix today, but the the main thing in those first three is what might even say there in kind of the heading in your Bible, the institution of the Lord's Supper. Let's look at it in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, starting in verse 17. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So there we see, take take the bread, this is my body, which is given for you, the cup, uh, that is my blood. And so those are the things that we seek to remember as we take the Lord's table. Now, a lot of ink has been spilt, a lot of debates have been had over what is the meaning of the Lord's Supper, where if you look at a... uh, more Catholic background, they would teach that, uh, no, it literally becomes the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, kind of in a miraculous way in the Mass. And that is what I would say is not only an incorrect an incorrect interpretation, it really gets to be a heretical interpretation because what is what it is implying is a re-sacrifice of Christ. 
when no, we know Christ has been sacrificed once and for all. But even going back to the Reformation, you would have debates between someone like Martin Luther, who taught that Christ was uh, somehow present in those elements because he said, this is my body. Uh, we should take that literally. And someone like Ulrich Zwingli saying, no, it's, it's more of a memorial. Just like when Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. He didn't mean I'm literally a door of the sheep. And that's where I do think the best interpretation is a memorial view and even memorial memory. Remember, right? You see that right in there. Do this in remembrance of me. I think we see it right in the gospel of Luke. This is something we do to remember. Now, that's where I think uh, as a society, especially in kind of modern American culture, we don't always do the best thinking about symbols. Because um, on the one hand, I think we want to act like, well, there's something magical about the symbol, right? Um, that, oh, somehow just by going through this action, you, you know, I'm receiving grace or that Christ is somehow present, right? And I don't think those things are true. But on the other hand, we can then say, well, it's just a symbol. It's not that important. No, I think this is very important. And it, we think through the symbolic acts of baptism or uh, the Lord's Supper. Sometimes we refer to things like this as the ordinances of the church because they were ordained by Christ for us to do. Uh, just because it's a symbol does not mean that it's not important. And just because it's a symbol doesn't mean that it's not powerful, right? As you take the bread and drink the cup with your church family, that should have a powerful effect on your life because we are stopping to remember the death of Jesus Christ for us. And God has given us, just like he did a lot in the Old Testament, as we're already seeing, you know, with Passover and different things, he wanted very tangible things to remind his people of what he has done. So now we have the tangible things of the bread and the cup to remind us of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you are a believer and you genuinely seek to do this in remembrance of Christ, you will be affected. You will be changed as you remember the gospel. So that is something that, that should have a powerful effect on our life, a powerful effect on our walk. And hopefully even just seeing this here reminds us, oh yeah, that, that's a big deal. Jesus taught the disciples to do that. And when we do it as churches now, we're meant to do it in remembrance of Jesus Christ. And now we'll be getting more into his death for us. And hopefully that is something that we think of often. And the Lord's Supper helps us to do that and to remember him and that we will be sanctified as we do that. Now, as we think through and remember Jesus Christ, there's something that should stick out as we think of his body and his blood. And frankly, one of those things that should stick out is his love. Uh, what greater expression of love is there than the sacrifice of Jesus of himself for us? And that's where when you get into the gospel of John, it does not record the institution of the Lord's Supper, but it gives us something in this context that the other gospels don't. It is this charge that he gives to his disciples to love one another. Uh, John 13, 34 through 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
Now, what an incredible passage, what a high bar as Christ has loved us, we are to love one another. Um, That's something that remembering Christ's sacrifice through communion should inspire us to do. His example of love should spur us on to love our brothers. And so even at every church I've been a part of, a part of taking communion is a time to, to reflect, to pray. And we even think of what it says in 1 Corinthians, how people were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Um, and we even get that part of it was there was, there was interpersonal problems in the church. And so as we think through that, it, it should be a very real moment for us to think about our love for one another and even confess ways that we have failed, but also to be spurred on to love one another. And I hope even just thinking about Jesus today and reading that, reading these words encourage you to love others as Christ has loved you and that people would be able to see the love that you clearly have for your Christian brothers and sisters and that that would be a powerful witness to the world. So may we remember Christ every day, but especially when our churches partake of communion together, let that be something that helps us remember Christ, spurs us on in our sanctification and specifically spurs us on in love towards others. Let's go back now to the saga of Uh, David and King Saul. And we'll look at 1 Samuel 26 and 27 today, but we'll also look at Psalm 17, Psalm 54, and Psalm 63 today. Uh, 1 Samuel 26 tells a story very similar to the cave where David cuts off part of Saul's robe. Um, Chapter 26 tells this similar story where he goes into the camp and God has caused a deep sleep to fall on everyone. So he takes the king's spear and jar of water again to prove, hey, Saul, you're acting like I'm out to get you. I'm clearly not out to get you because I could have had you, but I didn't because guess what? I don't want to kill you, King Saul. You're the king. You are the Lord's anointed. Uh, And again, we see Saul kind of confess and say, okay, I'm not going to chase you anymore. But clearly David doesn't believe that. And also clearly Saul doesn't mean that. And then we get from chapter 26, which seems like a very victorious moment, an example of faith for David. We get to chapter 27, where uh, he goes again to the Philistines. And even, you know, at the end, he seems to be deceptive that, you know, he's making them think that he's going out and doing raids against uh, even the Israelites, right? He's raiding against Judah, which would be his own tribe, but he's not doing that. He's raiding against others and making sure no one escapes to give word of what he is doing, but somewhat misleading the Philistines there. And that's where I think in some of these seasons, remember, David is not perfect. We'll get to 2 Samuel, David and Bathsheba, right? But I think in some of these moments, we see both the best and the worst of David. And that's something the Bible often does, right? It does not present besides Christ, uh, anybody as perfect. And so I think chapter 26 does show a victory of faith in David, but chapter 26, I don't think is the best, but that's where I think we see clearly the examples that we should really think through is as David was in a very tough situation, we, we see a good example of how we should process these things in the Psalms. And that's why we look at those three Psalms today. They, they touch on instances like what David was going through. And in fact, Psalm 54 is directly connected to one of the incidents we read about today, where it says it was written when the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? 
And David goes to God and says, Oh God, save me by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. And that's where I do think one thing we see David doing sometimes when there's trouble is he goes and he seeks the help of the Lord. And then there are sometimes, I'd say like chapter 27, where that is not mentioned. I think that should be an example for us that when we find ourselves in a hard situation, we need to make sure I'm going and I'm seeking help from the Lord. Because if we do, then we'll be able to say what he says in verse Verses four and five of Psalm 54, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies in your faithfulness, put an end to them. All right. What a great prayer from David and even the confidence he gains from that prayer. Another verse that stood out to me from our Psalms today was in chapter 17, uh, verses six and seven. He says, I will call upon you for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Right? That should be the pattern for us. When we are in trouble, we call upon God. We trust that he will answer and we even expect, God, show your steadfast love. And you are the savior of those who seek refuge in you. And then one of uh, the most beloved Psalms, you'll, you'll recognize some of the words as you get to Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And he, it says that he was writing this in the wilderness of Judah, which guess what? It's a dry and weary land where there is no water. So he's saying, God, what my body is feeling right now for water, that's what my soul feels for you, O God. And again, when he's in these hard situations, what does he do? Verse two, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. And that's where I would say he's in the wilderness of Judah. He's not at the sanctuary right now. So I think in some ways he's doing this in his mind. He's meditating, as he talks about later, meditating on God in the watches of the night. He's thinking of his power. He's thinking of his glory. Verse three, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. And so just as we think through the trials we might be facing today, may we be able to say, I'm looking to God in his power and his glory. And I'm remembering his steadfast love. And if there's one other thing that can help us remember his steadfast love now, it's, well, when we gather as a church and we celebrate communion and we do that in remembrance of Christ, that should be another reminder. So may we do that when our churches celebrate communion. And may we also just meditate on the character of God and seek his help each and every day. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.